From Mobi.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast exploring the market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, it's another pretty intense downturn here in the markets. Target and Walmart are down huge percentages after not quite making their way through to their exact numbers in terms of expectations. So inflation finally claiming retail as we roll through this, ladies and gentlemen. Very wild moment here in the market. We're still dealing with the fallout from the Terra collapse here in the crypto space as well and just generally just trying to see how the market is responding to inflation. And, you know, we're trying to finally decide if this is really a bear market or if this is volatility season. There's still a bunch of factors at play to help us sort of get through the complications there. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good? Where are you calling in from today, dude? Uh, Denver today, LA tomorrow, New York next week. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, that yeah, is that is fintech life. You have to, you've got a lot of people to talk to at all times, basically. But take me more through this. Finally, retail has been claimed, right? Retail's next up. First, it was, first they came for Apple, then they came for various growth stocks. And now finally, retail kind of takes its turn up to the plate for these downturns. Uh, what happened this week with these Target and Walmart earnings calls? And is it kind of serving as a contagion event for the rest of retail? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, to your point, we saw some of the tech names sell off. Now it's these other names. So we actually did a, a little bit of a tweet storm on this this morning. But in case you missed it, effectively, two things happened. One, retail sales growth. Um, I mean, it's definitely slowed down, but it's still like better than people were expecting. Um, but a lot of these companies like Target, like Walmart, uh, ultimately missed big on earnings. Uh, reason being, margins fell and margins fell due to supply chain uh, and basically just costs become significantly more expensive. So you're seeing inflation now get to the point where they can't necessarily pass it on to the consumers in a way that they once were. Target came out and said they wanted to plan on absorbing the higher costs. And so this is ultimately now why we're seeing this retail sell-off. Um, first, it started with tech, then it started with retail. The, the rest of the market, there's like this contagion event. And ultimately, I mean, we've been saying this since last year, 0809, no one could see coming. I mean, I guess mine is Michael Burry and a handful of folks, but this this was bad policy over the last few years, setting this up to an environment that was inevitable. So what we mean by that is when you keep rates crazy low, you have supply chains being stunted, you're pouring billions into the market, eventually inflation will kick in, inflation kicks in, the Fed fails to move, and then Inflation keeps getting out of control, keeps getting out of control. They finally admit it's a problem. They move. They still don't even move strong enough. And now it's the point where it's around 8%. Their target's two, so 4X their target. And now they have to move rates. And so rates go up. And then, I mean, you just have this effect where we're headed towards a recession in some capacity. Um, The Fed has not helped out. They supercharged the market too quick. And now there is a cooling off effect, ultimately healthy in the long run. But it's a long-winded way of saying the next six to 12 months are going to be very rocky. And that's why over the last six to eight months, we've been recommending a lot of defensive stocks, stocks that do well in these kind of environments. Healthcare being one of them, we just published it today. Uh, we also talk through utilities, consumer staples, and just overall more AI quantitative-based strategies as well, where you can invest from a portfolio standpoint. So you know, gone are the days where you just pick a tech stock, it goes up. Being smart, listening to the right people and understanding what to do is now more important than it's been in the last decade. 
Exactly. And uh, don't get me started on pharma because I will literally use this entire podcast to talk about Merck and Eli Lilly. Uh, let's get more into sort of just unpacking that a little bit because audience too, just keep in mind, this is one of those things where we were barreling towards this for a while, but the Fed always, obviously wasn't asleep at the wheel or anything. It's it's simply that we thought this would kind of sort itself out with like a, you know, a regular bubble popping like we would see in 2000. But then of course we got 2020 by our good friends over at coronavirus. And that really just kind of threw a wrench into the whole works. If we had, you know, raised rates when we should have, which is more like summer of last year in the middle of people still air quotes recovering from co- the uh, supply chain issues caused by the COVID-19 lockdowns of 2020, we could have started a recession then too. So it's just very complicated. Hindsight is 2020. Um, that pun is going to be ruined forever, basically. Um, but the, the main thing to keep in mind is there was no good answer here. And what's going to happen as this kind of begins to play out retail, retail sales weren't down that badly, but the market just kind of getting defensive in preparation. So perhaps what we're seeing is a bit of a hard landing, but like a brief hard landing, potentially. That's kind of like our best case scenario right now. Of course, no one is ready to full on officially call this a bear market. I think there's some very specific circumstances that would make us declare this a full on bear market. Justin, as we look at this, like, is there anything that would differentiate this from volatility to a straight up like this is the beginning of an actual normal downturn like how do people differentiate here like why is nobody saying we're in a bear market right now because like by definition a bear market we're not like we're teetering on the edge and some people are still skeptical um so i mean you're gonna have people even when we're in a bear market saying things will reverse but i mean general sentiment is is, is pretty bad right now if you've been paying attention to all of the news um so by definition we're just not in a bear market but we're approaching what is a bear market? So there's corrections, there's bear market. Um, I think we're gonna, I'd be very surprised if we don't hit it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, we're not technically there yet. It's uh, it's a scary environment right now. Things, you need to be defensive, need to be smart. Um, things that you bought won't necessarily rebound if they're not good names, uh, especially in the crypto world. Like this is almost like, the IPO or the dot-com era where you had all these companies that went public that were just put dot-com at the end of their name and they had multi-billion dollar valuations. Same thing in in crypto. No one can predict which will be the big projects down the road, but we all know 95% of them are going to go to basically zero, which we've been saying for the last year or two, but obviously is an unpopular opinion when everything's going up. So just food for thought here. Um, just try and be, you know, smart and, and make smart decisions, even though it's it could be unpopular at the time. No, exactly. And I think there's something really important to kind of keep in mind as we begin shifting mindset here into this very defensive mode. Remember, it's not, no one's going to declare this a recession until July, because the standard definition of a recession is a two consecutive quarters of downward motion in the market. So the soonest we could declare it is the very like the last day of June, basically. Obviously, it's looking more and more likely that we can call this a mini recession. But one thing we always say here, too, is that keep in mind, we've never actually had like a real recession, at least for um, folks in this kind of, uh, at least folks in my generation. Like the closest thing we had was the dot-com bubble bursting. 2008 was just a catastrophe uh, caused by just really a bunch of weird policies lining up together in the worst possible way. 2020 was barely even a recession. It was just kind of like a blip downward and then a very, very fast recovery fueled by just, you know, injecting a bucket of cash into an already hot economy. This is the recession that we should have had in 2020 if we lived in a in the version of the timeline where coronavirus did not hit. Like, we were going to hit something like this. Um, and, of course, the t- spending we did in 2020 to stave off catastrophe kind of kept 
this going and kept a bunch of people in this really weird rally phase. And so what you're seeing is that dot-com bubble bursting. We're finally seeing a real recession, this generation of retail investors. And so watching people react is going to be very interesting and watching the market react to this is going to be uh, astonishing too. Um, because one thing that does shift, and this kind of gets to my point, is we've always been saying for the past couple of months, you know, buy the dip, buy the dip. Is this a buy the dip scenario? That philosophy is going to shift away. Listen very carefully when Justin says that you need to be very considered in your stock picks. There's no longer going to be buy the dip scenarios because as we enter into more bearish territory and as this becomes more and more a full on recession, more of those growth names are going to have a lot of the oxygen sucked out of the room, right? And so what's going to happen is, is that over the course of the next few quarters, bad management is going to get revealed in, in numbers that can't be covered up by like quick growth strategies. So bad companies are going to get revealed. Uh, real companies are going to get undervalued a little bit and a little bit oversold as well as people kind of like panic their way out and just go back into bonds or into pharmaceuticals or into energy or, what, or whatever. And so keep this in mind as you go forward. As the market sentiment shifts, try to find the truth amongst the actual overreaction. The stock market in total is several trillion data points of human emotion um, kind of flying at you all at once, all day, every day. And so your job as a retail investor as somebody who's being considered and thinking about this is finding those moments within the market where you can find efficiencies where people are either overselling or where you can like get out of a situation where people are overbuying. So keep that in mind as we move forward. That kind of consideration becomes more and more and more important. But I also think the corollary is really important too, Justin, which is why I was really excited to see our report on, you know, a bunch of the fallen angels uh, uh, yesterday where we saw we're, we're mentioning a bunch of stocks that are oversold. Can you kind of take me through the philosophy there as we look into stocks that are potentially oversold? Is that entirely technical analysis? Are there some fundamentals there we can kind of look into? How can we think about sort of like making sure that we're watching, you know, stocks that we like that are potentially being undervalued in this potentially bearish market? Yeah, so we put out a good report on this the other day. It was And like technically stocks like this are called fallen angels, aka they're companies that are growing their earnings, doing well, um, but for whatever reason are just being completely undervalued by the market. I mean, in an environment like this, it makes sense. Everything to a certain extent is either being sold off or undervalued. I mean, there's still definitely names that are overvalued, but there's a lot of panic selling going on. Um, so for example, you ask like how we're supposed to identify those companies. Um, and we have a whole strategy built towards this, but we're looking for companies that have steadily been growing their earnings over the last several years. Uh, revenue growth was important over the last decade and it's still important now, but you can, any, everyone can grow, especially like direct to consumer companies. It's all just a matter of advertising. You put money into advertising, you'll get customers. It might be a terrible return on your investment, but you could do it. So that's where people are like, okay, well, are people spending money wisely to Peter's point? Are these companies making responsible decisions? And so now that becomes more important than ever. And so instead of just looking at revenue growth and growth overall, we're looking to grow from in profitability, in efficiency, in metrics that have mattered historically, but in the last cycle have not mattered as much, let's call it. So for example, if we look at Starbucks, which is a super popular name, everyone knows they're selling coffee, they're not changing the world per se. Um, so they, they get missed by a lot of investors because it's a, a boring investment, let's call it. But Starbucks has been growing their earnings every single year for the last three to five years. So you look at a company like that and you're like, okay, well, they're growing responsibly. They're not necessarily changing the world, but their earnings per share has climbed from $1 to over $4. So you're like, hmm, those are impressive numbers. How has the stock responded? 
and you look at the stock <laughs> and it's down pretty big. It's down 43% from its high. So obviously this can continue falling, but it's just fallen out of favor with investors. And so we look at stocks like this that are being managed well, have good opportunity, continuously grow steadily, but for whatever reason are undervalued by the market. So long story short, earnings is one indication of that. There's a handful of other metrics we can look at. Uh, the strategy we release to our premium members is focused on earnings, but we are going to continuously release more strategies based on other metrics. It's hard to, over a podcast, you know, break down how we analyze things, um, but effectively, you know, look at things, look at historical norms, see where they're trading, see how they're growing, are they growing responsibly, and then make decisions on them if they're over or undervalued at this point in time. It's uh, a very simplified version of our process, but ultimately kind of the end goal for what we're trying to do. Exactly. And so that's the thing you have to do as well, audience. You have to use the knowledge that you have to find market forces that are sort of counter to the narrative as well. And that's why you're catching me, audience, on a really big pharma kick lately. Like if you've ca caught any of my writing, I've done reports on everything from Merck to Eli Lilly today. And that's simply because what we saw is a, a bit of a reversal in pharma over the last two years. If you were doing anything, anything COVID-related in the last two years, you were getting just gobs of money funding and revenue because the entire world was focused on developing one of the most advanced vaccine projects known to mankind as quickly as possible. It's honestly an engineering miracle, and I could talk about it all day. But that kind of took away a lot of energy from, like, you know, making regular drugs for regular people. And so what we're seeing now is a bunch of, like, fit therapies that kind of got derailed a little bit by, you know, supply chain issues, by labor issues within pharma itself. No one's going to go into a drug lab when, you know, there's all sorts of nonsense going on. Like, if you've got life sciences professionals, they're going to be a teeny bit more cagey about going into an office, if you know what I mean. Um, but then you get into various places where, okay, research is back up. We're going to start getting more approvals for better drugs again that are not, you know, COVID vaccines and or COVID treatments. Uh, so Merck, uh, has had great results off of a new cancer therapy called Keytruda. Um, their stock has been up pretty well since we put out the report. So I was emboldened to put a report on Eli Lilly, which is a slightly riskier play. And I just want to take you all through that real fast. Eli Lilly is about to, just got approved for a new injectable treatment for di type 2 diabetes. Um, ostensibly, it just uh, it targets two hormones, activates them, which kind of help you regulate your metabolism and also help folks who have had sort of um, diabetic insulin resistance and the inability to produce insulin helps them boost that insulin and also helps them keep their blood sugar down. What has not been uh, announced by the FDA yet, though, is what Eli Lilly is showing internally in their Q1 earnings report, which is that this same mechanism that helps diabetics um, keeps your blood sugar down and also keeps your metabolism up turns out real good for weight loss, like staggering. Like their current internal numbers are showing um, if you take even if you even take five milligrams of um i'm not going to say the name of the drug i'm not going to mispronounce anything here on the podcast more uh, uh Mornjara? i think it's Mornjara. I, I just said i wasn't going to do it but here i am uh, if you take just five milligrams of that you know weekly as an injectable um 90 uh, 89 of all participants lost at least five percent of their body weight whereas uh within another trial group 62% lost 20% of body weight. So we are seeing a injectable medicine have the same amount of efficacy on average as bariatric surgery. So uh, if this works out, if they get, they're on sort of the approvals pipeline with the FDA right now, kind of working with um, th that whole nonsense, like if those approvals come out and it like those numbers are obviously going to go down because 
Eli Lilly has some incentive to not pump up their numbers, but their scientists will do a little bit of p-hacking to sort of like confirmation bias. Science is weird and hard, and uh, those numbers are going to come down as they expand the population of people within trials. But you nail that, it's kind of over because you're solving a billion dollar problem with type 2 diabetes. That's why that Eli Lilly was up before the S&P, you know, has done a thing again today. Um, but if they get an approval for weight loss as well, that's a really great long-term growth strategy in terms of just like gobs and gobs and gobs of revenue, which is ostensibly solving America's most, not solving, but finally giving real good medical pathways for America's biggest health crisis like technically right now heart disease is our biggest crisis but as millennials get older and older uh obesity is going to kind of take over as the number one health crisis which feeds into heart disease so uh huge huge opportunity really excited for it and that's what you have to look into it's it's not like they weren't working on this in 2020 it's just that all the cool drugs kind of got shelved while Eli Lilly was producing COVID-19 antigens for antibody treatments antibodies not antigens uh if anyone's a scientist you're going to yell at me in the comments anyway that's what you have to watch out for. Pharma is one small example. There are other ones as well. We're kind of looking into those. Obviously, they take a little bit longer. But Justin, how do you kind of play that, though, as you kind of look into the market right now? If you look into, um, I guess the main thing our audience is concerned about is the NASDAQ, as a lot of uh, their strategies in 2020 and 2021 centered on the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ just went on an absolute tear over the last five years, especially post-2020, as so much money flew into the market. Is growth season dead? Like, should I be, should I just be taking profits from my, my Tesla, um, position and running or is it one of those things where it's just gonna be like a temporary hit how do you monitor folks in that growth phase right now is it gonna be one of those things where like some companies are a buy the dip scenario or how can i sort of like suss this out as a lot more noise starts entering the market yeah i mean in general it's really hard to truly know predicting macro events like inflation rate cycles it, it's literally impossible like you you can't do it doesn't matter how good of an investor or someone tells you like we can use the information we have to to best guess but it's really hard so what i worry about most going forward is a pullback in consumer spending which hasn't happened yet um and ultimately then tech products would like be like affected the most but i mean it's we're kind of in an interesting environment earnings were good for the most companies stocks got absolutely crushed either due to technical valuation factors or some other handful of factors. But ultimately, to answer your question about the tech stocks, I just don't think it's going to get like let up while rates are rising. Um, you know, projecting at least another 12 months of rate, rate rising, again, to my point before, impossible to say if that's actually true. But that's what we're seeing. Combine that with all the possibly weaker fundamentals we'll see from that cutback in retail spending that I was referring to before given layoffs, just overall fears. And it just seems like the lows and bear market is here to stay in the medium term. And like, you even look at institution, like hedge funds are getting murdered. Melvin Capital, uh, who's a massive hedge fund, literally just shut down the other day. So Wall Street Bet sends its regards. <laughs> yeah. So they're probably going to have more far selling, which is ultimately going to push things further. I think at the end of the day, like the don't fight the Fed sentiment, on the way up is also gonna work on the way down. Until there's some sort of easing and inflation calms down and then ultimately rates stop rising, I just don't see it reversing anytime soon. So a long-winded way of getting to the point of ultimately, we need to watch what the Fed does. If inflation starts peaking, going back down, they don't have to raise rates as fast, then like valuations for tech stocks have the ability to resume. Uh, but until that happens, I mean, we're, we're in a tough environment and timing is impossible to say. So long story short, what we're doing 
is we are holding on to names that we fundamentally believe in, even if they've been slashed pretty hard. If there's other riskier picks, we've probably sold a decent amount of them off. And we're just looking to compile into value-based names until the economic environment shifts. Uh, in the long run, the names that got crushed, even if they were super high valued, we fundamentally believe in. We can dollar cost average to bring down our cost basis. Um, but again, this is why we're long-term investors. We, it's impossible to time the day-to-day. -day, so we're holding through it on the positions we fundamentally believe in um, and continuing to push through. Um, this is... This should have been seen for, for a lot of investors. Um, it's, it's honestly frightening that, or a little bit alarming that no one saw this coming and people were like, this is a black swan event. I mean, this has been set up for years now. So um, long story short, you have conviction in the names over the long run. If they're truly good companies growing in smart ways, continue to hold them. It's gonna be a long battle. In the short run, continue to dollar cost average down and look at a lot of the stocks, strategies and recommendations that we're pushing on, uh, on our site. Exactly. Because audience, remember, the number one way you win this game is in the long term. Like the most important thing you have to realize is that the way we talk about investing is so deeply short term because of how just genuinely exciting being a day trader is. And when I say exciting, I don't mean that positively. Like it is very overstimulating being a day trader. And so when you, you know, hear about investing on the Internet, guaranteed the stuff that's actually bubbling to the surface of these algorithms is day traders, people who are not necessarily gambling, but like doing a lot of like wild analysis to make, you know, whatever kinds of profits and arbitrage, you know? And so now we're getting into what real investing is, which is just buying monthly, holding your positions, basically, no not no matter what, but you know, until you see something that's truly distressing about a particular position and then selling as high as possible five, 10, 15 years down the line. And so that's um, honestly great from our business model perspective, because now the rest of the market is going to start thinking like the way we have been the entire time we've been in business. Um, but it's also a little bit scary because all you're going to hear is, you know, potentially negative news. These, these names aren't going down. A lot of them are just on sale. But again, weak management is going to get exposed over the next couple of quarters. So keep that in mind as well as you get sort of really excited about early stage growth companies, things that might be, you know, a little bit overhyped by fancy marketing and slash or just like being a cool product. You know, getting getting through that, though, I think, audience, one thing that's really important to keep in mind, too, is just uh, finding those little moments where good investments can happen as well. Um, and so the most important thing to close out on here, Justin, is crypto, because we're still kind of dealing with the fallout of the Terra collapse. Um, that was the first bank run we've seen uh, in a hundred years, basically. Now, it, it's, it's cool that crypto is reinventing monetary policy from like the 19-teens and 1920s, honestly. Um, as we look at that, like, is it one of those things where are we seeing potential projects that are a little bit oversold that might be good dip buys? Or is it one of those things we should watch the market go sideways for a bit as, you know, we kind of enter into crypto winter? Is there anything that you're going to be accumulating throughout this besides Bitcoin? So there's like two different approaches. There's the like more trading based quantitative approach where we're not like necessarily worried about the the fundamentals and just capturing opportunities in a very short term basis, um, which goes a little bit against our trading strategy or just investing strategy in stocks. But it does work a lot more until markets become more efficient on the crypto side. Um, so that's a little bit agnostic of what's going on on the actual investing side. I mean, you can think of crypto as a proxy for stocks right now. Like they are risk on assets. So in an environment where people are scared, in an environment where things are starting to get really expensive, I don't care if they're anti-inflationary, like they're going to get hurt because people need money. Like unless you're like in the 1% of the 1% and you don't necessarily need to be liquid to just like survive on a day-to-day -day basis, 99% of the population does. So 
in an environment where assets are extremely volatile, people are naturally going to sell their crypto so that they can fund their overall life. Um, so it does like depress prices and it does ultimately create buying opportunities. Again, I alluded to this before with like the dot-com bubble, you know, there was thousands of companies that you could choose from. And now there's thousands of crypto companies you can choose from. So choosing the number one winner is impossible. Choosing the big guys and maybe strategically trying to get some diversification across names you believe in with small bets can have tremendous upside. I don't think anyone is in a position to say this single crypto is going to be, you know, king crypto in 10 years from now. It's they're just so early stage and they're not even necessarily being utilized in the capacity they are that it just it would be like unwise for anyone to to claim that they knew the answer to that. It's I mean, we can make strategic bets, but it's it's really tough right now. I think this is a critical shift that not a lot of people talk about when they're thinking about crypto investing and discussing it. Uh, one thing that is genuinely wild is that in the retail space, crypto is not the same thing as investing in the stock market. If you're investing in crypto, you're investing as a venture capitalist, not an investor. Like your whole entire philosophy changes completely. As a as a stock investor, you know you know you understand fundamentals. You see, there's you know hundreds of years of data for various companies uh, that give you an understanding of what's going to happen. With crypto, you're a venture capitalist. You're goal is to make very small bets across a wide scope of projects and see who can potentially 10, 15, 100, 1,000, whatever X moving forward. And I want to make sure people keep that in mind because it's a distinction that people don't really respect. People just say, oh, crypto's a scam because something goes to zero. No, if you're understanding the game here, nobody knows who's going to win in the long run. This, this technology has genuine value, but we have to see what the market actually wants from blockchain and Web3 and all of this moving forward. And nobody can predict that. And so keep your investments small, keep them consistent, and especially in the crypto space, keep them speculative, i.e. keep them, you know, in invest in them the way you invest in literally your vices so that if you lose that money, I mean, it was kind of fun being involved with that project at that time. Um, and Justin, getting into audience questions as well, obviously Twitter is very much a buzz right now on Tesla getting removed from the S&P's ESG index. It's still in the S&P, so this kind of feels like a head fake. But since everyone's asking about it, uh, uh, anything important here or is this one of those things? Things, it's just creating more noise than signal. Yeah, I think it's just more, more noise than signal right now. I mean, we've been, I mean, I think, I think it's pretty common knowledge at this point that mining lithium and mining other like rare earth materials needed for the batteries is pretty bad for the environment. In the long run, it's still better than gas, but to get to like carbon neutral, it takes a bit. So, I mean, to make the argument that they're like ESG, like relative to some other like really green companies is, I don't think, super hard to, uh, to conceptualize. I mean, they're working and continuously will make it more green, but I mean, at, at this point, it's just, it's more noise than anything. Yeah, exactly. That's what I figured is, you know, we have to address it since our audience, you know, a lot of our audience came to us through being investors in Tesla. So a lot of our audience is going to have that sort of like Tesla bias. So people who are not uh, in that Tesla investors club, I appreciate your patience as we sort of like always bias those questions as they, you know, are the loudest ones asked to us on any given podcast in any given day, uh, as I look to the nightmare that is my inbox. Either way, Justin, like we've managed to kind of go over time a little bit, we've managed to hit the half hour, obviously, we kind of blitz through these like the market's pretty wild right now. But it's one of those things where honestly it's just kind of all according to plan no real catastrophe just you know stick to your investment 
plans, find good picks, and make sure that you're adding to your positions across this time, and make sure that you know you keep your budget safe as inflation goes up. Inv- inflation can kind of creep up on you. Uh, it's 8.3% only an average. Like depending on where you are in your market, it might be way worse or way better, depending on what your actual needs are as a work from home warrior. You know, gas inflation's not even a thing for me, honestly, even though I'm here in uh, California. So just keep that in mind. Make sure you sort of like really look at all the factors in your budget to make sure that your inve- the investment allocations you have in your budget are still, you know, doable from your perspective. So you're not tightening your belt too much. Right? It would keep enjoying yourself as we sort of roll through this next kind of uh, maintaining this bumpy period. And hopefully we can find better ways to talk about the bumps. Either way, Justin Kramer, uh, co-founder, chief analyst, and uh, just uh, CEO here at Moby.co. Any final thoughts from you before I go ahead and read the credits? Again, really appreciate just rolling through this as fast as possible. Yeah, I think as we covered it, pretty good. Uh, at least a lot to unpack in these uh, in these thirty minutes. There's always so much going on, and it never seems to be a dull moment. Yeah, volatility season, baby. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I'm really excited to hopefully, um, you know, have more concrete stuff moving forward. But audience, I really appreciate your time. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always join our Discord if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast. If you're here on Discord, you can always just uh, feel free to DM me. I'm at MobyStar here on Discord or just hit us up in the Moby Talks. Um, what is it called? The voice chat channel on our Discord. At the same time, if you want to get in touch with us via email, just email me. I'm Peter at Moby.co. Any questions you have, again, we want to make sure that we are tailoring our analysis, tailoring our team towards the insights that you want as you want to sort of build a diversified portfolio that gets you through this interesting period and gets you the gains you need, you know, two to four years down the line as the market sort of rebounds and we go back into growth season. Either way, audience, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for all of your questions. Just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the intellectual factors here come from our analysis team, which is led by Justin Kramer, our CEO and co-founder. If you have any questions for us, again, hit us up at hello at moby.co or peter at moby.co. Regardless, I really appreciate your time. And as always, I like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.